But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Welcome to The Father Pursuit. This is an M46 Ministries podcast about fathers who want to pursue their children. As God our Father pursues us, we want to encourage fathers as they pursue their kids. And for those of you just trying to figure it all out, we walk this road together. No shame, no judgment, no condemnation. Just a real look at what it means to be an intentional father, learn from our mistakes, and grow forward in love and grace. Together, we are learning to be the father our father wants us to be. Thanks for joining us on the Father Pursuit Podcast. My name is Matt Davis, and I'm here with Bryn and Brian Elliott, the co-founders of M46 Ministries. Now, today's episode, we are continuing on this discussion of suffering, and the, the name of this episode is The Blessing of Suffering with a question mark at the end of it. Is it possible that our, our suffering that we go through could actually be a blessing. Brian, is suffering a blessing or is it a curse? Well, that totally depends. Right. <laughs> so in my life, I have experienced suffering as a total curse that I was in self-pity, victimization. I did not have my eyes on the Lord and therefore I would categorize it as quite destructive. After 2016, when I made Jesus Lord and I really made him the number one priority in my life. And I began to, to honor God and his ways. And I began to develop intimacy with him. Then the, I began and only then did I really begin to experience the blessing of suffering. And it also gave me a new view on the suffering that I'd had in the past that, that I did not suffer well. It gave me a whole new vantage point on that. Yeah, it, I think as we've been listening, you know, we're what twelve episodes in now to the podcast, and so even just a reminder for everyone who's listening, like 2016 is this date, right? And it's a, it's a huge date for you, but it's uh, becoming recognizable for those of us who are listening that there is life before and without Jesus, and there is life after and with Jesus, and so there are there is a an ebb and a flow to our our life, but especially with Jesus, life changes. Um, Bryn, we were talking earlier about uh, this idea of life being these hills and valleys uh, and how it might be easier to see God when times are good, um, but not so much when times are bad. Tell me more. Yeah, I think that, you know, when we're on those hills, those high points of life where everything feels like it's working out and we can see God, you know, moving and and he seems so for us. And I think it's so easy to see him rightly in those moments and to see his character and his nature. Yeah. In a, in a right way. And then, you know, we enter into these valleys because that's just how life is. 
And, you know, in the dark times or in the times of suffering or challenge, it's, it's a lot harder sometimes to hold on to, to the character and the nature of God um, in an accurate way. And something I loved is in, in the last few months, I had, heard, I had heard a girl just talking about this at a dinner. And she said that for her, it's so important to hold on to how she sees God when she's on the hills so that when she's in the valleys, she's able to see God rightly. And I think that that's so important. And, you know, even just to when you're on those hills to spend time to think about who God is, even write it out to so that when you're in those valleys, you have a reminder of, no, this is who God is. It doesn't matter what my circumstances are. It doesn't matter how life feels like it's going right now, because even though you know, when, even if everything else seems like it's changing and shifting, we know that that God stays the same. And so, yeah, I, I just think that that piece is so important. It's easy to lose perspective when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, right? But the, the verse goes on and says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And I think there's a sense that in our suffering in the valleys uh, that that we're alone and that God has ab- abandoned us and that he's, he's left us. But to really look at suffering as a blessing, we have to be able to look at it differently. Brian, one of the things you say in the book is through the persecution and suffering we will experience as believers, we get to share in Jesus's sufferings. And this forges deep intimacy with fellow believers and with Jesus and is known as the fellowship of his suffering. In this sense, suffering is a blessing, even when it doesn't feel like it. In fact, his apostles rejoiced that they had been found worthy to suffer for his name. Describe more of this fellowship of his suffering and and what that looks like and feels like to do that, even within a community of other people and within the community, the fellowship of Jesus. Well, the the fellowship of suffering, I mean, God accomplishes so much in it. I know for myself that, you know, the more that I enter into suffering and and I fix my eyes on Jesus, I know it reveals my weaknesses. I know it creates a totally different dependency on God and, and, I find there's also an acceleration of, of the death to self. Now that's something that's we've already been, you know, co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected, but we're in the process of renewing our mind to the fullness of the mind of Christ. And nothing like entering into suffering really brings the reality. So it, I would call it it's an it's an accelerant. I would also say it's a critical part of the whole sanctification process that we talked about uh, a couple of episodes ago. But one of the things too is we're told to deny ourselves, and when we do that, we 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 suffer, and we can, and that can be in the form of fasting, but also it can be in the form of carrying one another's burdens too. And I love Second uh, Corinthians one three to four, where it says, "Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our troubles, so that we can comfort those." in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. So I love that because we can now comfort those that are in need that are going through the same thing that we went through and we can do it as well with the same attitude as Jesus. And part of the the great command of Jesus is to love others as he has loved us. And so part of doing that is carrying one another's burdens. And if we come together in that unity and love for one another, carrying one another's burdens, 
it, there's a beautiful element to it. Again, that, that's an intimacy between the between the believers. Every believer also is the face of Jesus as well. So we get to come into to serving, to blessing, and to suffering with Jesus as we suffer with uh, with other believers. And we also have to understand too that suffering is always temporary, and it always calls us back to God, and it, and it is producing an internal glory within us. And that's something that outweighs anything that we might go through in this uh, physical realm. Yeah, that that suffering is is really that season of what, what Christian mystics and spiritual theologians over time have called the wilderness experience, or even the the dark night of the soul. Uh, and I think you, you look at even Israel coming out of Egypt and going through their forty years in the wilderness and. There was a, a movement for them. Obviously, like there was a, a measure of suffering, but I think from from God's perspective, uh, this was relationship building. That their entire dependence throughout those forty years was this relationship building. That God was there, and I love one of my favorite passages is Deuteronomy thirty two ten, and it's talking about. God and his relationship with Israel in the wilderness. And it says this, it says, In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. And one of these days we'll have to look at the Hebrew and do a deep dive on it because it's phenomenal. But our, our English language doesn't really convey um, everything that's going on here. But, but God found him in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him, and he guarded him as the apple of his eye. And what I love about this passage is the actual word for apple in the Hebrew is uh, tapuach. Uh, and the word tapuach actually does not ever show up in the, in, in the Old Testament in scripture. So it's, it's interesting that the, the translators, when they're coming across this passage, that they said apple, because the, the real word, it says he guarded him as the Ishon is actually the word that is used in the Bible. And Ish means man, uh, Ishon means little man. Um, so the question is, why didn't the translators actually go through this passage and say he guarded him as the little man of his eye? Um, and here's the picture, um, and this is why I love it. Bryn and Brian, you guys are in the same room right now. If you got really close to each other, face to face, and you got so close that you're looking into each other's eyes, that you were so close that you actually saw your own reflection in the eye of the other, you would see the little man in the other person's eye. And do that as long as you're not driving. Somebody who's listening to the podcast right now, get so close to somebody and just try it. If, you, if you're so close to somebody that you see your reflection in their eye, then you now see the little man. And the language and this passage is saying that even in that wilderness time, even in the barren and howling waste, that God was so close to his people that they could have seen the reflection of God they could have seen themselves even in his eyes. So God is saying, I want to be close and I'm with you in the very midst of those wilderness experiences. Bryn, I, what, what does the prayer of somebody who is in the wilderness sound like? How do you pray in the midst of suffering? And what, is that, what does that prayer look like? What does it sound like? Recently, actually, um, I went through a sort of like wilderness season where I felt like I couldn't hear God's voice and he wasn't saying anything to me for months. And I, you know, I wasn't having any of the 
crazy spiritual encounters or experiences. And, you know, living in YWAM Youth with a Mission, living in that community, it's like it's happening around me all the time. Like God is like I'm seeing breakthrough in other people. I'm seeing new levels of freedom. I'm seeing people get encountered and um, and all these different things. And so I think, you know, especially in that community, it can be easy to look at other people and be like, well, I'm not getting that. Why am I not getting that? And feeling far from God. And it, it was a hard season for me because I felt like before that it was, he was so clear and it, it was so easy to hear his voice. And even, even encounters, like encounters were happening pretty often for me. And so in that, in that season, in that season where I felt, you know, far from the Lord, I I couldn't see it at the time, but he was producing something in me and it, it was all for a purpose. And I think that that's so important when looking at suffering is that there, there is a purpose to it and God will always bring purpose to it. You know, for me in that season, I, at the end, of that, you know, wilderness season, I I sat with the Lord and I was like, okay, this is really frustrating. Like, I I don't feel like I'm getting anything here. Like, I I can't hear your voice. Like, what am I doing wrong? All this kind of stuff. And the Lord so clearly spoke and he said, if you never heard my voice again, if you never had another spiritual encounter or experience, would you still follow me? And, you know, and I realized that he was producing this like steadfastness in, in him that, no matter what's going on around me or no matter what I'm experiencing, I'm going to choose to follow him. Even if I don't, you know, like experience the gifts of the spirit or hear his voice super clearly or have encounters. And I think that that's so important too, is that, you know, sometimes it's harder to see in the moment when you're right in something that know the Lord's actually producing something in you and, and growing something in you. But I I find that every time I get through it, I'm able to see it after. And I even love like Romans uh, 5, 3 to 5. It says, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And the hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so that verse, I feel like is a beautiful prayer. You know, I feel like, looking at that verse and even just praying the scripture out of, you know, acknowledging, okay, God, you're doing something here and you're producing something in me, whether it's character or endurance or steadfastness in you. And yeah. And not just looking inwards of, oh, this is hard, you know? What what a gift though, to be able to come out of a season like that and to be faced with the question of like, if you never heard my voice again, would you still be faithful? I think it's a good like deep question that we have to be able to bring before the Lord and and sit with that. There's uh, an Old Testament scholar and theologian, his name's Walter Brueggemann, and he wrote this amazing book called The Spirituality of the Psalms. And he talks about how the Psalms paint a picture for us of these different seasons of life. And he he talks about these seasons being orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And those, those psalms of orientation, it's a season when everything is right in the world and our posture is facing towards God and there's delight in His presence and in His creation. Um, you know, you have these psalms like Psalm 8 that, that go like, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is man that you're mindful of them and human beings that you care for them, right? That's the orientation. But Brian, sometimes we get thrust uh, and, and without warning uh, into that season of disorientation. And it feels like the rug has been pulled out from underneath us. And that delight of being with God 
feels more like abandonment and disorientation is that like grasping in the dark and searching for God and feeling like he's either like evasive or he can't be found. Um, and then you get like these Psalms, like I think it's Psalm 13. It says, how long Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And how, how do you work through that and have the perspective of the moment and say like, still I will worship even in this time, even in this season. For me, when I do go through a period like that, I think the number one thing is not to be quiet about it, to be real and authentic and vulnerable with it. And so, I mean, I've got people around that I can share very, very openly with. And and ultimately, it's never an issue with God. It's always an issue in our own heart, something that, that needs to be dealt with. There's a root, there's healing required, you know, usually that uh, and in people outside as we share these things can minister to us and you know they can they can really uh, help to shift that season because I mean God's not into elongating seasons like it's, he says after you've suffered a little while right then the God of hope will restore you so it's so we're not meant to to be burdened in this in this uh, in this rut of suffering but I think when we understand too that the crushing really does lead to to blessings like Bryn said and and that uh just how character and perseverance is formed in that unshakable hope because once we have that I mean then we have that to share with the world and it's it's very very powerful I think too just understanding that you know Jesus was the ultimate example of suffering you know he the weight of the sin of the world and the consequence of that and so his level of suffering in every level was was unimaginable and then you know, we look at unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains only a single seed but if it dies it will produce many seeds. So it's, we have to understand that Jesus shows us that you know, the greatest death and loss apparently was now the greatest victory, that death always precedes life. So there's newness and that many seeds results in great fruitfulness. So what we're doing is we're essentially having a mini crucifixion and mini resurrections going from glory to glory. And that's really getting transformed into the image of Jesus it, just through this process. I think also... The, it's a choice to worship that uh, no matter what's happening, that God is always worthy of our praise. And so that's where we can have that stance where we're going to give thanks in all circumstances because we know who he is. We know he's good. We know he's the same yesterday, today and forever. And so we can choose a response. So, for example, when Job's children uh, died, he continued to worship God. And even after David lost his son, he worshiped God as well. And remember with Abby, I did the majority of her funeral and I had a worship team there an hour before and just really gave glory to God. And then all the way through, we had very specific songs ending with death, where is your sting? Knowing that Abby is eternally with the father and with Jesus. And so we can now look at everything differently. We can start to look at it from an eternal perspective and we can see the great blessing and suffering and that it does outweigh anything that we would experience in this current age. The, the, the idea of life being made up of these, these deaths and resurrections and in, in these many forms that they don't feel so many in the moment. One of the things that, that Brueggemann says in his book as he wraps up and he kind of makes sense of all this, he says, what is promised in this covenant is not equilibrium, but faithfulness. The Bible is realistic in knowing that life does not consist in pleasant growth to well-being, but it consists in painful wrenchings and surprising gifts. 
and over none of them do we preside. And so it just is this, I, I think our expectation is that life is just going to be good and just keep getting better. But to be able to sit from that perspective and to have the understanding that it's going to be painful wrenchings and surprising gifts along the way. I think uh, one of the things that really kind of hit me is, and, and what we've said is that the blessing and suffering, can there actually be blessing and suffering? And, and there, there's a yes and a no, but it's a yes if, if you really are experiencing that with Jesus. It's the, it's the intimacy. And, and Francis Chan, um, he, he once took a, a trip and, and wrote about it, but he went to go visit some South Korean uh, pastors and missionaries who were trying to do some work in North Korea, got caught. They were put in a camp, and every day for 18 months, they were tortured and had threatened to be killed on a firing line and blindfolded and then taken out. And and they were some of the, the lives were lost in that time, um, but many of them were released afterwards. And Francis Chan talks about seeing and visiting um, with these pastors and missionaries. And one of the things that he took away from that was that he said that they, they kept saying, don't you wish sometimes that we were back, that we were in that place because he was with us, that he felt so close. And it, it totally makes sense to me biblically. And that's why you have Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and they're thrown into this pit of fire. And suddenly the king is like, wait, why are there four people in there? Who's that fourth one? Bryn, have there been those moments where you just, you realize that, that the presence of Jesus with you was so palpable and so close that there was another, that he was with you in those moments? Yeah, there's been Definitely many, but the one that comes to mind first is when I just really was at the very beginning of my walk with the Lord. And honestly, like I hadn't even made the choice yet to follow him or commit my life or let allow Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And um, when my dad took me to a deliverance session, and this was a time in my life where I was 90 pounds, super skinny, looked like I was about to die. Um, I was addicted to so many different hard drugs and I was depressed. I was suicidal. I would wake up every day just screaming and crying, just realizing that I was still alive and had to live through another day. And we went to this deliverance session and honestly, I had not much expectation for it. Didn't wasn't filled with hope that anything was going to happen. But honestly, at that point, it was like, okay, you know what? I'll try anything. And if I like sit in this room for two hours and it helps even a bit, like whatever, it's worth it. And so I went and during this session, I finally was able to understand what people meant by, oh, God speaks and, you know, he's present and close and all of that kind of stuff. And um, after the deliverance session, because the deliverance session didn't make like my whole life change, like it, it made a lot of things change, but I was still in a place of like deep hurt and trauma and pain and so unhealthy. But I went back to my apartment that night. And I was by myself and the presence of God was just so thick and so strong in my apartment that I couldn't even walk. Like I was trying to get from my bathroom back to my bedroom and 
like halfway there and that it's like four steps. It's a really small apartment. And halfway there, I just like was on my face and could not get up for, I don't even know how long, honestly. And just like weeping and in tears and all I had the strength to say, or that would even come out was just like, thank you God for showing up. And so even though like, it wasn't like a direct, like, okay, my life is completely transformed after this one moment. It did make a huge difference of like, okay, he's, he's here and he's in this with me and I, I can do this and it's okay. And I think too, like even in these moments of suffering, I think it's important to allow the Lord to show us the condition of our hearts within those times, because I think that those times are the times that we're really able to see clearly, um, the condition of our hearts and, and kind of how, how, how much are we allowing the Lord to have control of our hearts and our lives? And I think through not just that one experience, but through all the different times of, that I've gone through suffering with the Lord since, um, I think one of the things that I've really learned and that's really helped me is to understand that God is way more concerned about my character than my comfort. Mm. And that that is love. Mm. And, you know, because, yeah, it's it's I could be comfortable and life could be easy, but what, what would that do? You know, what would that produce in me? Um, if things were always just easier, came easy all the time. And so to understand that my character is way more important and the, the development of my character is way more important to God than my comfort or even than my results in my life. So good. Yeah, I think, I think Brandon, exactly what you said, that it's the severe pressure, right? Then when we, that suffering reveals what's inside of our hearts, because so often in the comfort and in the, the normal day to day, um, we can be totally blind to that. And, and that, you know, our character gets tested in these times of, of pain and suffering. But really, I think the ultimate um, with suffering, it really does lead to transformation. And the so the suffering, as Bryn said, what's inside of us allows to shine out. So we, we really get to see what's in there. You know, it brings us to the end of ourselves. And that's the, it's just so critical. And coming into that beautiful place of dependence in the Lord, and the things of this world, I found, I know, I noticed that in my own life, I began to grieve as I, uh, as the things of the world became strangely dim, and I was dying to to a lot of my old life, and that included a lot of aspect to to friend groups, to to what I valued, to what I did, to where my focus and priorities were. I actually had to even grieve that as I was going through. I remember being almost perplexed. Uh, by the the level of grief, but that's just uh, it's it's transition and it's normal and it's healthy and it's good. I also find that it really suffering produces humility and and brings us to that place of surrender. So it's it's an accelerant and ultimately, you know, God wants us close to Him and and aware of His presence and and just really going to Him as our everything. So ultimately, we're being transformed into the image of Jesus and suffering entering into sufferings with him is by the power of his Holy Spirit and his grace and his mercy and his goodness and kindness that that is reflected in and through us as we begin to to walk with God in a whole new way and to see him clearly. So it's about having a right perspective. That is everything. Um, I, I want to bring this session to a close, even though I don't want to bring this session to a close, but because we are focused in on the reconciliation and, and the strengthening of families and the relationship between 
fathers and mothers and their children. Um, what does this suffering look like in the family? And specifically, I have the same question for both of you, but slightly different. But Bryn, um, what did you need from your parents when you were going through your trials and suffering? Yeah, it's interesting because before I really made the choice to follow Jesus, I probably would have said nothing and for them to just get out of the way. Right. Um, but my dad did the exact opposite. Even when I wasn't following Jesus, he continued to fight for me, um, in like the natural and in the spirit. And he had other people fighting for me. He had a whole team of intercessors to pray for me and, um, yeah, just war for me in the spirit. And he just continued to invite me into life with Jesus. And honestly, at the time, like I thought it was annoying and <laughs> I, I didn't really want to like have any part of it. And in, in these prayer meetings, I would literally like go in, people would pray for me, they would prophesy over me and I would cuss them all out and slam the door and leave. And that was probably so embarrassing for him. But even even still, he continued to invite me back because he loved me so much that he didn't care. He didn't care how it made him look as a father. He didn't care um, if it looked like it wasn't working in the natural because he knew that things were happening in the spirit, even if I wasn't aware of it or even if he couldn't see it in the moment. And so I think, you know, not not giving up hope, um, even for the salvation of your children or family members or actually walking them walk into the fullness of life with Jesus, because I was probably the last person um, that anybody would have thought would have made this choice in my life. And honestly, it, it still shocks me sometimes. Like I look at, you know, what I'm doing where I am and I'm like, oh, I definitely would not have guessed any of this. Right. Um, and then now I think after following Jesus, it's, you know, it's, it's so different. It, but honestly, maybe a little bit similar is that my dad continues to do that with me. And, you know, even in the moments where maybe I'm not as receptive and I'll tell him, I'm like, I am not receptive right now. Can we please do this later? <laughs> I appreciate it, uh, but not right now. But yeah, so I think even just praying together, um, you know, warring with each other for each other, even not when we're together. But I know that even still, like my dad, I know that he's on my side always, you know, and it looks different every time depending on what's happening or what I'm going through. But I, I can trust that, yeah, that he is for me and not against me. And I think I think the biggest thing in that is is letting God the Father be a guide, you know, letting him show you how to be a father. And I think that my dad has done like just such a beautiful job of at this stage in my life representing God the Father to me in such a beautiful way that I don't I don't question where his heart is towards me and I don't question um yeah. Uh, Brian, uh, as as dads there is a long suffering that comes with being a parent. But I imagine that for you to hear that coming from your daughter uh, must feel incredible, number one. Number two, um, this idea of never giving up, never stop pursuing our kids. It's the whole reason that we call this the father pursuit is to know that we have a father that's pursuing us and that here on earth, uh, we've been given that responsibility and task to pursue our kids so that they can experience their father in heaven while they're here on earth. Um, but it's hard also when it's not just our kids that are going through suffering, but we might be going through our own personal suffering and needing to lick our wounds uh, and and experiencing it, but then also having to give something there. But for, for the family and your posture, I'm like all of that, I'm asking all of those questions is what was, what's that like right now to hear that and to know like, 
man, you, you would be the first to admit you, you screwed it up early on and w- was not walking, but the redemption that has come, if it happened for you, it could happen for any family. Well, I mean, what it made me think of is my family of origin, that when we experienced tragedy, it, it really decimated our family. So what happened here was a, a, a generational restoration. So to hear this really shows just the power of, of redemption and the... I mean, as I turned my heart to the Father, that enabled me to to turn my heart to Bryn and to respond much differently. And as I, I really went into inner healing and to, I became a disciple. Now, I could not disciple her hands-on, right? As Bryn said, I had to do it from afar at times, and I had to do it whenever I could. But it's a it was a whole new way of uh, all the elements Bryn talked about was fighting for family, and and it's powered by by grace and just through intimacy with God and just beginning to trust him more and more and going into that place with him. And the more we experience our heavenly father, the more we can portray that to the world. That's great. What what we're going to do here just to close this episode out is uh, I just want to play a song and it's uh, from, it must not be a big band in Canada, but back in the nineties here in America, there was a Christian band, uh, it's called Jars of Clay and they have a song called the Valley Song also known as Sing of Your Mercy, but it just talks about these valleys. And Bryn, you talked about this early on in in this episode of the hills and the valleys and how God meets us in those moments of deep suffering when death has come to steal everything we love and everyone we love, that God wants to meet us there. And the the process of a, a God who is merciful and who meets us in these moments uh, even though we are nearly broken and we don't know where he's at, we can't see his face, um, that we sing of his mercy that leads us through valleys of sorrow to rivers of joy. Check this out. This is Jars of Clay, the Valley Song, and may you be blessed even in your suffering. You have led me to the sadness. I have carried this pain. On a back bruised and nearly broken I'm crying out to you I will sing of your mercy That leads me through valleys of sorrow To rivers of joy When death, like a gypsy Comes to steal what I love I will still Look to the heavens I will still seek your face But I fear you aren't listening Because there are no words Just the stillness, Just the stillness And the hunger and
with our eyes tightly shut, face to the ground, using our hands to cover the fatal cut. And though the pain is an ocean tossing us around, 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 you have come greater waters and higher. Leads me through valleys of sorrow to rivers of joy. Yeah.